0: Matthew chapter 27, verse number 24. The Bible said, When Pilate saw that he could not prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And they set up over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross." "'Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, "'He saved others, himself he cannot save. "'If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, "'and we will believe him. "'He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. "'For he said, I am the Son of God. "'The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. "'Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour.' And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had heard, cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you for the another opportunity to be gathered together, to assemble together with 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 your people. God, we thank you for the opportunity to get up and to preach the Word of God one more time. Lord, who knows, maybe today would be the last time I'd get up to be able to preach because of your return. Maybe today would be the last day that somebody sitting in this building here would hear me preach. And maybe, maybe, Lord, you decide that you would take us out of here. Maybe, maybe the body of Christ would go up off the earth and, and we would, we would go to the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, I pray that today that you would speak to hearts through your Holy Spirit and through your word. And Lord, help us, God, fill that need of whatever it may be. And we give you thanks and the praise for everything you do. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now the history of the world is a little more than a collection of days and then the days turning into years and the years turning into decades and the decades turning into centuries. Most days are ordinary days, but then there's little to distinguish one day from another. However, here and there along the timeline, there's little dots and specks of history that one encounters that are noteworthy to remember. The landscape of history is dotted with what we might refer to as the word infamy. Uh, President Roosevelt referred to December the 17th, 1941, uh, the day that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. He said it was a day that will live in infamy. Now, an infamous day is one to be remembered because of an event of maybe something evil or unspeakable or some horrible event that's taken place. Another infamous day that is fresh in many of our minds is September the 11th, 2001. You'll remember that's the day the Twin Towers in New York had went down when terrorists had attacked this country. Of course, other days in history are to be remembered because of the special nature of the events in them. November 9th, 1989 will always be remembered as the day that the Berlin Wall came down. So we remember that there's certain days in, in time that are uh, of significance, and importance. On April the 9th, 2003, there was millions and millions of people that watched as citizens of Baghdad watched the, the, uh, the figure or the statue of Saddam Hussein being toppled down. I mean, we can look back, and we can, we have mark, markers in our mind. You, 2019, as far as I'm concerned, was one of the worst things that that had happened in our history. You know, as far as uh, as far as our health and things like that goes with COVID-19. Now, here in our text, the day that we see before us here. It has a distinction of both being a day of infamy and a day of being famous is what we see in the passage where good triumphed over evil. There is no other day in history in my opinion and my belief that rises above the importance of the day that I just read to you right here when Jesus Christ died and he was risen again. I believe that's the most important day in human history. I mean, he was the king of kings. He was crucified. It was in, it was infamous a day because it shows man at the height of his sinfulness, and it was infamous because he came to his own, and his own received him not. And so it was infamous, infamous in those regards. But however, it was a famous day in the annals of time because sin was defeated, the power of Satan was forever broken, and because the black halls of death were invaded by the prince of princes, Jesus Christ. We've got every reason this morning to be excited. We've got every reason this morning for this building to be full of God's people shouting because we've got the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We don't have to go around with a sourpuss look on our face like our mother-in-law just moved in on us as we said on Wednesday night. We've got every reason to be excited because he lives, we live. You say, well, when, when, you know, when can a Christian ever die and go to hell? I'll tell you when a Christian can die and go to hell. That's when God dies. That's when God dies. But that'll never happen. God will never die. Thank God for that. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to travel back here of over, around 2,000 years ago, and let's watch the King of glory as He is crucified. And I pray the significance of this day will be made clear to our hearts and our minds. Let's together, let's look at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, notice the place of his resurrection. Notice the place of his resurrection. In verse number 33, the Bible says this, And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull... Notice, number one, it was a prominent place. It was a prominent place physically. Golgotha is the place of a skull, or as they say in the Latin, it'd be called Calvary. Thank God for the Calvary, amen? I mean, it's only mentioned in your King James Bible one time. There's other versions that just completely remove it, but your King James Bible leaves it in there. Thank God Calvary is still in the Bible, and that's a place that resembles a skull, a dead man. And they they say, I've read stories and things about it, they say that it was littered with the skulls of dead men. It's a place just outside of Jerusalem, outside the gates of Jerusalem, and, and all the people that lived there understood what it was about. They had witnessed the death of thousands and thousands of criminals and were considered, uh, that were, and those that were considered the enemies of the Roman government. It, they probably had this Roman uh, practice to allow their bodies to even hang on the cross and even some of them even to rot there while it was on the cross. And so you can believe, and you better bet that these people knew exactly where this place was because they knew it very well. Well, it was prominent physically, but then also it was prominent historically as well. It was prominent historically. This mountain that was being defiled by Rome was a special place for the Jews. You see, this is the place where in part the temple would be itself was built. And here it is also possible that even they say that even Abraham had taken to offer Isaac on this same hill. I mean, that's that just amazing thought when you think about how all that comes together and how God had done that. And so it's a prominent place historically when it comes to Abraham and Isaac because when you go back to Genesis chapter 22, it's the place where Abraham was getting ready to offer up his son. Abraham being a type of God and Isaac being a type of Jesus Christ. You see how amazing that is when it lay, it all lays out there. It was a prophetic place because it was a prominent, or excuse me, it was a place of his crucifixion. It was a prominent place, but it was also a prophetic place because in Genesis 22, he took him up that hill to crucify his son. You see, there was a father willingly to give his son to die. And in that passage, there are a couple of verses that would be noteworthy in Genesis chapter 22. There's two things that would be noteworthy, as I've made in my notes here. In verse number 8 of Genesis chapter number 22, we won't turn there for uh, the sake of time, but there is where the Bible says that God will provide Himself a lamb. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when you read that verse the way it's written, God will provide Himself a lamb. You know what John said when Jesus stepped out? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away to the sin of the world. And on the cross of Calvary, when Jesus hung there, that was the Lamb of God hanging there. That was God Himself. He said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. On that cross, it wasn't just a mere man that died. It was God that died on that cross. And God provided Himself, Himself, a Lamb. It's also significant in verse uh, chapter 22 of the book of Genesis and verse number 14 where the Bible says, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. You see, this is an old prophecy that tells us that God would give His lamb on this very mountain and that is just exactly what we're seeing in Matthew chapter number 27 and it was a prophetic place. We notice number two, we notice the pain of His crucifixion. We notice the pain of his crucifixion. Number one, he endured the pain of the cross. Look at verse number 35. The Bible said, and they crucified him. You see, now the Bible here in this passage, you would read that and you just keep on going and not think much about it. But in that in that three or four words, "and they crucified him," there's so much more that went on in those words right there. Those words do not even begin to to convey the horror that Jesus Christ had to endure on that cross. I mean, consider the fact that before he arrived at Calvary, Jesus had been bitten, he had went uh, beaten, he had been uh, been through trials, awake all night long, and and uh, he had been uh, beaten by those Roman soldiers, and he had endured the horror of the Roman scourging, and he's been mocked, he's been ridiculed, he's been spat upon, and, and then he's got to endure all the horror of, of what would come as far as Calvary is concerned and being nailed to that cross. An act more horrible than anything that you and I could even ever comprehend or imagine took place that day on the cross of Calvary. Here's just a little bit of a brief description that someone gave one time. What is a crucifixion? And uh, it says, The cross is placed on the ground, and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. An ungodly Roman soldier feels the depression at the front of the wrist, and he drives a heavy square wrought iron nailed through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action. Being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement, the cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrists. Excruciating, fierce pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrists are putting pressure on the median nerve. As he pushes himself upward to avoid this stretching torment, he places the full weight of the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony—excuse agony, me, agony—of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of his feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself to get even one small breath. And finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstream, and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he's able to push himself upward to exhale and to bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, and joints of rent cramps and intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as... Tissue is torn from the laceration back of moving up and down on a raw wooden post. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium flows, fills, slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. This is written by a doctor. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissue. Finally, he can allow his body to die. You know what the Bible says? I said all of that and the Bible says in verse number 35, and they crucified him. You see that? There's more to those words than simply they just crucified him. You know why he did that? He did that because he loved you. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did that because He loved you. Why did He bear the shame and the guilt? Why did He bear all the sins of the world? He did that because He loved you and He loved me. That's why He did that. But I would remind you that while He was on that cross, He was still Creator hanging there. He could have called 12 legions of angels to come and get Him down off the cross, Matthew 26, 53. But He endured His crucifixion silence." Silence, just as the prophet said that he would in Isaiah 53 and verse number seven. Why? Because he loved you and because he loved me. He endured the pain of the cross because of the pain of the crowds. In verses 39 through 44, we won't read them all again, but while Jesus was there in agony of the cross, those who were at Calvary that day did everything in their power to make sure that they would enhance the pain that this man would go through while he's on the cross. They mocked him and made fun of him. The soldiers had nailed him to the cross, and, his, and they gambled at his feet. And the rank and file were mocking him as they were walking past him and past his feet. And the religious leaders ridiculed this broken fit Figure hanging on the cross even the two other men who were hanging there with him that day were mocking the Lord Jesus Christ he endured all of that while he was on the cross he endured the pain of the crowds the only compassion that he received that day was from just a small crowd that was there that day to watch him as he would die his mother his aunt his uh, beloved disciple and then a lady that he had delivered out of a life of sin they were there to love him and they were there to mourn his death again I'm just reminded of who this man was as he was hanging there that day and one word from him and all of his tormentors would disappear just like that but he hung there in silence why because he loved you and he loved me that's why he did that what grace what mercy oh what love he endured the pain number 3 of the con- the condemned you'll find that in verses 45 and 46 now, when I refer to the enduring the pain of the condemned, what I'm referring to is what He said. It is not only what He said, but it includes what He said to the thief on the cross when He said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I'm referring also to the, the time of the moment the Son of God literally became sin of the world. The, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, He that knew no sin became sin, That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. While He's hanging there, there's a whole lot more going on than just Jesus was crucified. While He's hanging there, from you know He was they nailed Him at nine o'clock, twelve o'clock, sixth hour of the day, until about the ninth hour, it was dark for three hours. It was dark on the face of the earth, and then during that three hours, Jesus faced the agony of drinking the bitter wrath of the cup of God, and that's what He did for you, and that's what He did for me. So somehow, all of our sins were transferred to Jesus. Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. He, the last Adam, became our sin and he was judged by God in our place. The first Adam brought death and hell to all of mankind by his actions in the garden. But this man that's called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he brought salvation and life to all who believe on him. How? By the cross of Calvary. And God judged him as he would judge every sinner while he was on the cross. He paid the price for you and he paid the price for me that day when He died on the cross. Why did He endure the full brunt of the wrath of God on the cross? Because He did that, because He didn't want you or me to die and go to hell. He looked down through the portals of time and He saw man was dropping off like flies into hell. And He said, I've got to do something about it. Why? Because He loved man all at one time. 2,000 years ago, He gave His Son for you and me. Well, that's love. When another man gives his life for another, that is love. Number three, Notice the power of His crucifixion. Number one, the power of redemption in verse number 50 the Bible tells us we'll flip over there to verse number 50 the Bible said when Jesus had cried again with a loud voice he yielded up the ghost and I'm telling you there was something about that when he was raised for our justification the Bible says but we've got redemption when the Savior breathed his last breath on the cross redemption had been secured for all of those that place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ no greater words have ever been spoken than when Jesus when he was there on the cross and he died the Bible said in verse number 50 uh, that he lifted up his voice he yielded up the ghost but the Bible tells us that he He said, it is finished. I believe that's in the book of John. It is finished. Thank God this morning it's finished. Thank God there's nothing I can do to add to it. Anything I can do would just take from it. All I can do is just step back in amazement and thank God for it until the day he takes me out of here. Tell a few folk about Jesus as I go along the way. Hey, that's all I can do. But I can tell them about the good news that Jesus Christ loved them enough to die for them on the cross of Calvary. Well, I'll tell you, but you see, it doesn't just stop right there. He died, but he was also resurrected. See, that's why a lot of us are here this morning is so we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You come to church maybe because somebody invited you to come. This is Easter and you're here this morning because you want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that He raised from the dead. But you know what? We can celebrate Easter every Sunday. He was raised on the first day of the week. We can celebrate it every day for that matter as far as I'm concerned. But you see, it, has, it gives the power of redemption. There's a story that's told of a, of a, a little boy and, a, and, and his sister. The sister had a, a a disease. And the doctor explained that she had the same disease as the little boy did a couple of years prior. And the doctor had said that the only way that the girl's going to survive is that if he gives her blood. And so they asked the little boy, his name was Johnny and her name was Mary, and they asked the little boy, they said, Will you give your blood for your sister Mary? Johnny hesitated, and his lip began to quiver a little bit, but he said, Yes, I'll do it. And so what they did is they took him back, and they began the procedure, and uh, they wheelchaired him in there, and the two, the brother and sister, had, had met, and, and Johnny smiled at his sister. And they began the, the procedure there, and soon they took the needle and put it in Johnny's arm, and Johnny's smile faded. He watched the blood flow through the tube. When the ordeal was almost over with, his voice slightly shaky, he broke the silence and he said, Doctor, when am I going to die? You see, that little boy thought that when he gave his blood to his sister that he was going to die. Isn't that amazing? You see, in essence, that's what Jesus did. But here this morning, what we see is we take it a little step further there and we've got more of a serious condition than what his sister Mary had. We've got a a sinful disease flowing through our veins that only the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse away. And if we don't get to that, then we can't be saved. And what that means for you and I, my friend, is that you don't have to die and go to hell. This morning, if you're not saved, you can come to Jesus Christ and He'll save you. If you call upon Him and place your faith and trust in Him, He promised that He would in no wise cast you out and that He'll save you. And so we see that there's the power of redemption through His crucifixion, but we also see the power of restoration. You see, through the death of Jesus on the cross, the believer finds himself restored to the right relationship with God. You see, you no longer carry the guilt and the shame of your sin when you trust Jesus Christ because He lifts it up. You know the old song says, Burdens are lifted where? Where? At Calvary, you see, the burdens are lifted and the word, and in Romans 5 and verse number 8 says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we get justification through him is how we get that. What's justification mean? It means that you've been taken before the throne of God and declared righteous. That's what it means. Just if I'd never sinned, Boy, that's good news. You say, preacher, you don't know where I've been and how what I've done and how bad I've been. No, and it doesn't matter how if I know how bad you've been. I know that the blood of Jesus Christ washes away any and all sin. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep you've been, Jesus, the blood of Jesus can save you. It can lift you up out of the miry clay and set your feet on a solid rock, and it'll change you. You'll have a new beginning, a new, he said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You see, you can be a new creature in Christ Jesus this morning. Thank God that the blood of Jesus does for me what I couldn't do myself. It washed away my sin. It renders me righteous in the sight of the Lord. And it's the blood of Jesus that makes men worthy of heaven and not man himself. Peter said and for, over there in, in 1 Peter he's talking about the, but not with the precious blood of, of, of bulls and goats could never take away the sins of the world in the book of Hebrews. Paul said in Philippians 3 9 and being found in Him. If you ever want to be found anywhere, you want to be found in Jesus Christ. He said being found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see there's the power of redemption, there's the power of reconciliation and restoration And number three, there's the power of reconciliation. When Jesus died on the cross, we're told there's a a veil. In the temple, there was a veil. They estimate that it could be anywhere from four to eight inches thick. And, uh, and what it was is it was a place you enter the holy, you enter in the holy place and then you go back into the most holy place. And that's where they kept the mercy seat. And that's where the Lord would come down and he would uh, meet the people. And there, there, you have this veil. And the Bible says that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil was rent in twain, in two. It was rent in twain from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. Not from man to God, but from God to man. That's the only way you're going to be saved today is from God to man. It's a free gift from God to man. That veil has stood there and it was a reminder that man was separated from God. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He rent that veil and now you can enter into the presence of God. Thank God the blood brings sinful man and a holy God together as one. Now that that was, you know, there's a million ways and angles that you can preach the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that was an important day. In my belief, it is the most important day outside of personally the day that I come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That For me, that was the greatest day, it was the day that I become to know the Lord. And that day would be the day when I stood, stood there and I responded to the call that Jesus Christ called me in his marvelous grace. My friend, has the day that Jesus died on the cross became a reality for you? Has it ever became... The Bible said, for God so loved the world. Has it ever occurred to you that God died for you? Not that God died for the world. Thank God he died for the world. That includes everybody. But has there ever been a time when you have just personalized it and said, yes, Jesus died for me? That's a very important day. I believe outside of the crucifixion and resurrection day, the most important day personally, is the day that God calls you and He saves you. Are you saved this morning?